0: Hi everyone! Before we start with this episode, we have a pretty big announcement to make. We're having our very first live show.
1: Yes! It's going to be our Season 1 recap episode, which we'll record with you on Zoom. We'll entertain you with our usual banter, and of course, we'll open the floor for you if you have any questions.
0: We'll be hosting this on Saturday, April 17th at 3pm Eastern. For all the details, you can head to the link in the episode description or in the bio of any of our social media accounts. You'll be able to register for the show. There's no event fee for this, but we are going to provide a PayPal link for a pay what you can if you're able to. It'll just help us get some more equipment and keep the show running smoothly and sounding better.
1: Spots are limited, so don't wait too long. Head over to the link in our episode description or on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Carrying Wayward and register now.
0: We hope to see you there.
1: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a Supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou.
0: And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 19, Provenance. Let's get this show on the road. If we can begin this episode, I would just like to say, I felt a little seen by a part of this episode.
1: Oh my goodness, please tell me.
0: I had no idea what the word provenance meant. Like, (laughs) I really didn't know. So when Sam kind of calls out Dean for the exact same thing, I was like, oh, I feel stupid.
1: No, but you know what? I feel like Sam does that a lot, where he calls out Dean for not knowing things, but also like... Dean didn't even go to school properly. Dean never went to university, never went to college, never went to technical school or anything like that. Dean barely has a GED. And you can't really blame him for not knowing what the word provenance means.
0: Question then, did you know what it meant before this episode? Yes. (laughs) I feel like it's not a very common term like i'll even go so far as to say i'd read the episode title and like mm-hmm. it's on the screen when the episode begins i have it at the top of the screen as i'm streaming it and in my head it was still the word providence which i didn't know what the uh, connection was so when, okay. so when when dean literally says oh you got the providences and he goes no the province provinces Ugh, i can't even say it <laughs> providences and corrects him on it and like actually, I think within the universe of the episode is a really smart way of saying we have this specific term we're going to use for this episode. Let's explain it naturally without being weird or making people confused. Well done. But I just, I connected it with Dean on a very different level for once and I appreciated that.
1: Oh, Dean, I love that. I love that you (laughs) got to appreciate him a bit more. If I'm being really honest, provenance is a, exists in French. La provenance. Okay. De quelque chose. So it's like where something is from. So that's how I knew what it meant. So I I guess I cheated a little
0: bit. You know what, no? Use the tools you got, girl. Good on you. But there you go. And 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 a little French lesson for the listeners. Well then, Drew, are you
1: ready to recap the episode for me?
0: I think two minutes should be more than enough, but let's see what happens.
1: I'll count you down. Three, two, one,
0: go. We open on a couple coming home and buying this really creepy painting they put up in their vestibule, and things get sexy until things get murdery. Uh, Cut to the brothers coming to town, because I forget why they're coming to town for this episode, actually, what lured them there, except for the weird murder, because the house was locked from the inside and something killed them. Uh, They try to go look into it, figure everything's already gone, go to the um, auction house that sold the painting in the first place, and... We meet a lovely female character who actually has some personality and is really interesting. And I wish she would come back, but I'm sure she won't. And Dean is all like, I guess you got to go be with her now because you're both smart people. Uh, This eventually leads them to figure out through the provenance that this painting has been in the home of a bunch of other people who died the exact same way. And they go, they steal the painting, they burn it, and that doesn't work. So they go after the clearly the killer in the painting, find his bones, burn those, because that's got to work now, and they're wrong a second time. Strike three, they are now trapped in the house, the little girl who is actually the murderer in the painting, while Sam is protecting Sarah in the house and trying his best to save her, Dean is off to the mausoleum to go burn the doll because her hair is her remains, and we actually get a pretty easy conclusion, and Sam gets his first kiss of the series that isn't his dead girlfriend? Time.
1: Oh my goodness, that was morbid. 31 seconds left. Congratulations.
0: Oh, okay. I was afraid. I I really couldn't tell if this was going to be a really long one because it was a lot to cover or if it was going to be a lot shorter than I expected. Did I miss anything major? I'm just going to
1: point out a couple of things for the long game. First of all, I'm going to ask you to remember Sarah and I will leave it at that. Okay. Then, I don't know if you noticed, but the Impala is filthy in this episode. I think it's to make like a contrast between the beautiful cars that are there and then to show that the Impala is just dirty. And But this rarely ever happens in later seasons. Dean is actually really, really careful with the car. He makes sure that she is always clean and presentable, like regardless of how many times the boys actually like eat or sleep in the car, the car is always immaculate. I understand that they wanted to contrast something, but that actually turns out to be something that's a little out of character for both the car and for Dean.
0: Yeah, I don't think it really hit me until now that the car is always sort of like, despite the lifestyle they live and the kind of back and like how they're always sort of staying at like, not like dingy motels, but they're never staying anywhere really mm. nice that it stands out how nice the car always looks. It always feels clean. It just feels a little older because it's a classic car, but it seems to be in good shape. So having it not be as pristine this time, I think you're right was very much just to point out how it's like not a luxury car, because realistically, you think a bunch of rich guys showing up at an auction house, a vintage car like that would probably be normal. So it needed to be dirty to stand out.
1: Exactly. I mean, this is a, this is actually a sought after car, as far as I'm aware, with my very limited knowledge of vehicles. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I see what you're, what you're saying. And I I really agree. I think that that was the intent. We also see in, when they're at the library or in the records or the archives, Mm -hmm. or I can't remember exactly where they are. There's a record keeper or a librarian who shows them a newspaper from 1912, you know, um, about the, about the the family in the painting. The family, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this also happens to be the on the front page, the Titanic sinking, right? Which
0: threw me for a loop because it took me a solid like second or two to realize he wasn't referring to the Titanic. And I'm like, this family was on the Titanic? How does that tie in? I'm so, I'm, oh no, it's just an article on the side. Okay, the Titanic's just like a weird, a weird pull.
1: It's it's something that sometimes you do to anchor the show in reality, to like bring up real historical events, etc. So this was done and I, same as you, I was so focusing on the picture of the Titanic the first time that I listened to it that I missed a bunch of information. Yes,
0: I had to rewatch yeah. that scene.
1: <laughs> totally understandable. But I will say that this is not the last time that we're going to hear of the Titanic on this show. Shall we move into story time?
0: <laughs> Let's
1: all right drew so clearly this was a sam episode right i think both agree on that yeah and it doesn't really have to do with like sam's story of being chosen for anything right like i don't want to give away too many details about that but that's not part of that arc right no
0: and i didn't feel it was this really seemed like a get to know you sam and in this case dealing with sort of his Moving on since Jess, because as I alluded to in my recap, I said this is his first kiss post Jess. Do we ever see him kiss Jess?
1: I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch it.
0: So uh, even with that answer, that tells me that even if he did, it was such a small detail. We never thought about it. So the fact that this is his first time and yes, it is really like a fake out of the end, which is kind of relevant if you think about it. And we'll get into that later with critical time. It really is the first time we see him, and I guess this is the television way of opening up to somebody, in having a romantic moment.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I think that this was interesting, specifically because, so we've seen how Dean deals with relationships in general, right? We've seen him flirt with women, we've seen him... I would argue flirting with men too, Mm -hmm. um, or at least, you know, there was something there with men as well. So we're starting to see how Dean deals with romantic and sexual relationships, Mm -hmm. but we've never really seen how Sam fares in those aspects, right? So I think that this was an opener episode to kind of walk us through Sam's process and Sam's approach to these.
0: Yeah, it feels a little bit like a sequel in a sense to uh, Hookman. Ooh, yeah. In the sense, that this is this was the uh, this is the second time we're introducing a female lead who is very much there to be with Sam and not with Dean. In that episode, there's sort of the illusion of I would like to open up to you, but I can't because I've been hurt and I don't want to hurt you. We then kind of get the conclusion to that story with Sarah here. And it helps us kind of paint a picture of what Sam is looking for and what Sam either needs or wants.
1: All right, so now we're definitely ready to start at the top of the episode. So we're starting in a bar, and Dean is clearly in the process of picking up a girl, right? There's even a reference to Brandy with a Y or an I. And now, if you remember... Yeah, right? Sorry, just
0: gagging on some of the (laughs) tropes.
1: I don't know if... All of our listeners will remember this and I don't even know if this is still a thing today, but at one point in the early 2000s there was this idea, this gimmick, I guess, that like girls with names ending in i instead of a y were somehow easier to sleep with than other girls.
0: Yeah, yeah. from the from the male perspective, the way it was always sort of portrayed in media to men was This is a girl who is doing something to make herself seem more fun and to get get more attention. Thus, they Mm -hmm. were looking for a man to bring them home or to hook up with, which for so many reasons is a problem. But the fact that he asked that question kind of alludes to the are you a little more open is this going to be easier than I expect? I think is almost the. Am I the getting
1: angle late to tonight? Essentially, is the question.
0: I, I don't. I, I'll, okay. say I'll, I'll even go as far as saying I don't think he has a question of whether he is or isn't. I think it's just a matter of how much effort do I have to put in,
1: oh. <laughs> which is
0: which is both really bad and really bad in other ways.
1: I'm torn on this because there's this. I, I also don't want to slut shame here. In the sense of like, if two people find each other attractive, are both consenting and want to sleep with each other without knowing each other all that well, Mm -hmm. I am all for it. That is great for them.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I think I think the shame here is is less. I'm, I'm not shaming either of them. I'm shaming Dean's attempt to see how much effort do I have to put in to get this? Like, you know, again, you're right. If they want to go ahead and do what they want to do, they're consenting adults, all two or possibly three of them. We might find out later. Just Dean, like put the effort in. Don't look for shortcuts. Come on.
1: I agree. You know what? I agree, Drew. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: I do want to say I do kind of like the idea that Dean was also trying to pull Sam into this interaction
1: Oh, Drew, you're reading my mind. So, yes. Dean, so not only is Dean picking up a girl, but he's also trying, like you said, to pull Sam into this interaction. Mm-hmm. And Sam does not care. Nope. He has no interest for quote-unquote hot friend. He's actually calling Dean over to talk shop, right? Like his yeah. focus is on the work. He wants to find what's happening with that family, what happened to that family. Etc. But so like you said, he's, Dean is offering to set him up with hot friend and Sam replies, no, no, like I can get my own dates. And then Dean says, but you don't. Then Sam like kind of gets a little defensive and goes, well, what's that supposed to mean? And here I find Dean's reaction to be really interesting. And I'd like us to scratch at that a little bit because Dean hesitates. He's like, and like, you can tell if you watch it, if if you pay close attention that he like has a bit of a panic moment where he's like, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. He immediately drops the topic. And the only time that we've really seen Dean drop subjects immediately with Sam is when it relates to sexuality. And mm-hmm. so I'm sort of wondering like how, because the last time that that happened, remember it was in bloody Mary. They were talking about secrets and Dean dropped the topic. Like it was hot and now he's doing the same. And so I'm wondering like what and at the time we had thought that maybe Dean had a secret of his own that he didn't want to share with Sam. Now mm-hmm. we're at the point where we're talking very openly about Dean being bisexual and so I think we can safely assume that that was the secret he was keeping yeah. from Sam. But so what can we read about this? What can we read
0: about Dean? I think it just it I think this does go a little less deep than I wanted to go with Dean. I think from Dean's angle, this is really just a respectful moment. This is him realizing he is touching on a subject that might be more than just having fun in a bar talk. And he goes, You know what? Like, I am about to step over a line I shouldn't step over in this situation. It's a conversation we can have as brothers, but not right here. You clearly, the last time you got a girl was your. Girlfriend Jess, who we all know how that ended. I'm going to back off now. I have I have touched the button and I've realized I shouldn't press it.
1: Yeah, I fully agree that on Dean's part is it's to be respectful. Right. But then what about on Sam's end?
0: And I think from Sam's end, it does show us that he is it's it's a bit two sided. There's the part of it that's kind of the I can clearly get a woman. You you met Jess before all this. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about that. But this isn't where I want to be picking up a girl and right now isn't the time for it. Whether that be I'm not ready or this isn't the right time right now is kind of up in the air. Mm -hmm. I think he's trying to say now is not a good time because we're working when really what he means is I'm not ready yet. Okay. Which is very evident in the way we see the uh, date with uh, Sarago.
1: I think that there's something a bit deeper and we're going to come back to that actually. Actually, we're going to come back to it right now. When Sam and Dean are in the motel room and they're talking, actually after his date with Sarah, it, it's really interesting to me that they're at opposite ends of the room. So visually, there's, there's a huge distance between them. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of distance that we haven't really seen the brothers have a conversation at in the show so far, when you think about it.
0: No, you're right
1: and dean is also unusually wearing only a t-shirt we usually see dean wearing multiple layers of clothing mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of talk and i mean this can be interpreted in many ways it can just it can be quote unquote just fashion but this is television so there's always a meaning behind why people wear the things that they do etc
0: Yeah, like I could get the, as we discussed uh, previously, the Sam shirtless is for fans. Mm -hmm. But Dean being still clothed, just not wearing his normal outfit, that seems intentional in a different way.
1: Exactly. So the way that it's interpreted is that the, the layers of clothing are actually Dean's like, Layers of emotional protection. There's many interpretations of this. One of them could be that it's a way of keeping his true self secret. But here he's really only wearing a t shirt, which is unusual. So we need to look at it as unusual. So to me, that shows that he is wanting to be emotionally vulnerable with Sam.
0: Yeah, he's letting his true self through in this conversation, in this moment.
1: So Dean says, Well, I'm assuming that this is about Jessica. And then Sam replies, Well, you're right. A part of it is about Jessica but not the main part. What is the main part? So if he's not ready because of Jess, it's one thing, but he's clearly saying it's not the main part.
0: It might be very surface level because they do get very, I feel they, they directly address this by the end of the episode. And then is Sam's feelings about drawing anybody into his life right now because we've seen what happens to people in his life. Either they become hunters and have to live this life that he considers not Fulfilling, mm-hmm. or they die.
1: And that's something that we touched on in a few episodes, one of them being skin, where we see that Sam coming into his past friends' lives actually creates a ripple effect. We also talked about it in Route 666, where Dean has that understanding mm-hmm. pretty down pat. But we've never actually seen Sam come to that conclusion.
0: You're you're not wrong. The fact that he wasn't able to say it tells me it was more because I think even at that moment, the very blunt answer of, I don't want to open myself up to somebody only to have them either get hurt because they know me or get too involved and get hurt because they followed me. I feel like isn't something he doesn't... I feel like it's something that is so blatantly obvious to both of them. Like, they've literally had this conversation... In Route six six six, pretty much. So to not say it there means there is something more about it.
1: And something that's interesting is that Dean, again, the moment that he hears that, drops the sub the subject. So I'm wondering if maybe Sam isn't somewhere between asexual or demisexual, and he needs to have like a, a an emotional bond with someone in order to be able to develop a sexual relationship with them. And. Mm-hmm. And that would make it very hard for him, especially knowing that he can't get emotionally close to people and draw them into his life. Whereas for Dean, like, that's clearly not a problem. Like, he does not need that emotional bond in order to have sex with them. But if, if that's something that Sam needs, then that makes it very challenging for him to develop any kind of relationship
0: on the road. Yeah, knowing that he's going to be on the road or he either or he has to lie to them or he has to induct them into this world. And we even see it in this episode. He is completely uncomfortable around her. And yeah, it kind of comes off as the goofy like, oh, I think you're pretty and I'm just a boy. But I think it really comes down to he doesn't want to fake this relationship with her because he actually sees something in her. And he goes, my options are either lie to you, which I hate or tell you the truth, which I probably hate more. And it's only after she knows the truth that he's able to turn around and give her that kiss.
1: There you go. Once the emotional bond is actually established. So you brought up the conversation between Sam and Sarah where he, you know, she she knows the truth at this point. They're I think they're yeah. waiting for Dean, right?
0: Yeah, for some reason Dean has gone in to get information out of a library which seems so weirdly out of place for anything, but I guess for the plot, it works. So well, I'll it's let also,
1: it go. But I can totally imagine Dean being like, again, kind of like when <laughs> Sam and Sarah are going into the house, like to check on the painting. He's like, no, no, you go, you go, you go. I'll stay here. I'll, I'll, or like, you stay here and I'll go into the library. Like, don't worry about it, Sam. Like, hey, I got it's, this. It's, it's the room
0: with all the books in it. I know, I know, I know. <laughs>
1: I'll just ask someone.
0: <laughs> can you show me to the library? <laughs>
1: the library the
0: the book museum where i can take the books
1: (laughs) oh my god we're making jokes but dean is actually really smart oh my god we're
0: so he is but i feel like he's also the character who would make those jokes about himself or would play up that character because he enjoys it like he doesn't want to come across as smart so he plays dumb but he actually really knows his shit
1: oh my goodness he is so freaking smart (sighs) i love dean okay so (laughs) that conversation (laughs) i'm trying to keep us on track that conversation between Sam and Sarah, they're clearly, ha- like they, they're clearly coming at the conversation from very different perspectives, right? Um, so he doesn't want to bring her into his life because he understands the danger and he has lived the consequences of that danger. And Sarah's like, you don't actually get to make my decisions for me. I can get to I get to decide who I involve myself with so long as I know the truth. And knowing the truth, I would choose to be with you. So that's her stance. His stance is quite different, and we've already talked about that. And I was wondering like if you had to pick sides, whose side are you on?
0: Sarah's right. Number one, she's not an object. She can make her own decisions. And now that she's been presented with the facts, I think she's allowed to say, "Listen, given what I know now, I would like to continue seeing you. Ultimately, what it comes down to is everyone should be allowed to make their own choices. Yes, other people's opinions can play in. You can't make choices for somebody else. And that is the big deal. Is Sam is trying to make a choice for Sarah, whereas Sarah is saying, I'm making a choice for me. Sam, by all rights, can say, listen, I respect your choice. However, I can't handle that responsibility. I am not going to continue going out with you, which is fair, but he has to say he's doing it for himself to protect her. Not no, 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 it's for you. I'm doing this for you. No, no, you're afraid you're doing it for you.
1: Every time that I've watched this episode, I've always sided with Sarah because there's this trope in media that I really hate. And the first time that I ever encountered it myself was watching, uh, one of the Spider-Man movie. And it's, you know, Peter Parker, who tells Mary Jane Watson that, you know, he can't be with her because it's too dangerous for her to be with him. And so ever since there's this running joke between me and Rochelle that whenever this happens, where a guy tells a girl, no, we can't be together because it's too dangerous for you. I'm like, oh, he pulled a Peter Parker, and so, my reading of this was always like, "Ugh, Sam pulled a Peter Parker. All right, okay, whatever." But now, honestly, with with the discussions that we've had about Sam this season, I really do think that, yes, he's he's saying that he's doing it for her, but I really do think, like you said, that he is doing it for him. He is doing this to protect himself from another heartbreak.
0: like I think that's. A very chivalrous act. It's it's kind of playing the white knight a little bit there. But I think we've all seen that just go a little too far sometimes. And this is just an example of that. He is feigning that he's putting someone before him, but really he's doing it to protect himself. And in the meantime, it happens to protect somebody else.
1: Exactly. There you go. And so for him to say, like, it would be too dangerous for you to do that is is wrong because like, she's, like Sarah says, she gets to make her own decisions about that. And especially knowing, knowing the truth and having full knowledge of the situation. If she makes a decision to, to, to be okay with starting something with him, then that is entirely on her. Yeah. But the fact that despite that, Sam still doesn't want to makes the whole thing not about her or not about... Him wanting to protect her, but him wanting to protect himself. And I think I just found my crossroads.
0: Ooh. But I will say, I think if Sam could man up enough, or which I is a term I already hate to use, but if he could present himself properly and say, listen, you might be okay with it. I'm not okay with it. So I'm going to choose to not move forward in this relationship. I would respect that so much.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It just unfortunately in a TV world might not come across as nice. Why though? I feel like it just sort of makes him look like a greedy character when in reality it's not. It's instead a human being, in this case, a male character talking about their emotions and their mental health and their abilities to cope, which is a big no-no for men in society, apparently.
1: (sighs) I mean, okay, sure. I guess, so I guess what you're saying is that within the realities of the structures of society, this would have been impossible to put in. Is that what you're
0: saying? It, wouldn't, it would have been impossible to put it in without making him look like a jerk or the bad guy, because that's how society is trained us to look at men. So with story time uh, wrapped up neatly with a little bow on top, uh, shall we jump into critical time?
1: Yes, dear. Would you mind if I started off with critical time this week?
0: Please go ahead.
1: Amazing. I just have a tiny little point that I thought was really funny. So, as we know, the uh, guest star this week, her name is Sarah. The character, her name is Sarah. And um, when Sam gives a fake name to the to her, well to Sarah's dad, he says, "I'm Sam Connors." And I just found it interesting that if you put the two names together, Sarah and Connors, you have Sarah
0: Connors. I love it. Just cute little references like that. Like I don't think we can I I can't think of anything in this episode that the Terminator would somehow connect to in some way. So I'm not looking for some overarching like, oh, here's it's just a cute call. And I like that. I, I love that they're the staff clearly has some good nerds on it and I appreciate good nerdism. Actually, I can make a really vague connection to the next point I'm going to bring up. And that is in Terminator 2. The uh, I'm about to spoil a movie from God knows how many years ago. The big twist is that the Terminator ends up being the good guy. We get bait and switched, which is what happens in this episode.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Drew, what a Ooh. beautiful segue. Whew.
0: Yeah, I'm taking points for that one.
1: Oh, yes, um, you are.
0: <laughs> so this is something that I know through interviews and some conversation about the show in general is something we're not going to be surprised by as often because it's going to keep happening but this is the cause of a bait and switch so we are set up with a very clear here is the villain and then oops surprise it's actually someone or something else and i think from a storing from a story from a storytelling point of view or from a narrative point of view this allows us even when you know it's coming or you can kind of see it coming because of the way things are written like in this episode i legitimately did not see it coming i kind of had a moment where i was like i feel like we're missing something to tie up this episode neatly and lo and behold it was the reveal that it's actually the adopted daughter in the painting who is the murderer and not the father and in fact some of the things they lead to like the things they read as being evil, like, oh, look, the father is like looking this way or it's his blade that's being used. And he was a barber. They're tying all these points together. They're making assumptions. They're observing and learning. And sometimes you're wrong. And we then learn new information in this case that it's actually the uh, the, the spirit of the little girl. It just sort of helps paint this world of things aren't always what they seem Heck, even their attempts to solve this. First, it's destroyed the painting. Oops, the painting's not the source. Okay, fine. Let's burn his bones. Oops, that's not the source of the evil either. You know, we get this kind of you can do all the research in the world. You could be so confident you know what you're talking about. And sometimes you can still be wrong. because There's information you don't always have.
1: Now you're getting me to think about something.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, what? What have I done? (laughs) <laughs> what
1: have you done, Drew? Evil
0: fingers and so, evil little fingers here who? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, that's really interesting, and I'm wondering if we can't connect that to the wider story being told in this season. Okay. And I and I don't think it's a perfect one, but I think that it's interesting to at least think about and put out there because like you said, during most of the episode we think that the evil spirit, or the what's evil is the father. But it turns out that the thing that is evil, or at least that has evil in them, is one of the children. And somehow that
0: sort of relates to the Winchesters. Like I said, I have some vague knowledge of where things in this story do go, especially given Sam's chosen one complex, which doesn't really get touched on this episode much. No. Are you implying that there might be something evil lurking within Sam? And that it may or may not be tied to, I'm going to say, a parent?
1: (laughs) Well. (laughs) 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 Yes interesting interesting Uh, hopefully
0: those of you who have seen further in the series than i have can relate to mary's point here more than i can but hopefully i'm on to something i'm intrigued
1: yeah we'll definitely be coming back to that but i had never really thought about it that way before hmm yeah so thank you for bringing that up
0: i'm glad i could
1: So this week we actually have a really short critical time because we didn't have that much to say about this episode. But we do have a fantastic uh, voicemail this week.
0: Yes, we do.
2: Hey, Caring Wayward. Uh, Mike here. So in your Benders episode, you guys discussed the difference between how Dean and Sam handle being the chosen one... Dean meets it with reluctance, but it fits Sam like a glove. And I want to get back to that conversation because I think that that's important as it relates to Dean's queerness. Uh, So I think that there's a lot that goes into sibling dynamics, of course. Um, Dean's reluctance and faith really does seem to fall nicely into deeper aspects of not only his queerness, but how uh, we can use that as a lens in viewing this continuous thread we see with him, related to his sense of internal unworthiness and shame. Uh, I'm gonna use my own life as an anecdotal sample here, and it's because I know that there are some pretty common themes among people growing up queer, but although common, please don't think that I mean this in any absolute kind of way for queer people. Everyone's lives are different and we should never forget that because only a Sith deals in absolutes. So that said, before I knew that I was gay, I knew that I was different than the other boys and that I was the one who wasn't the, you know, quote-unquote, correct way to be. Big air quotes there. As a queer big brother to not a queer little brother, Dean's sense of unworthiness really resonates with many things in my life and growing up with my own Sammy. My brother just intrinsically knew that he deserved good things, and I could never understand where that came from in him. I think I get that now, though, as life, with its super heteronormative standards, sting and traumatize kids quickly and deeply, and queer kids learn to internalize shame and unworthiness as part of their first education. So for my brother, things often came so much easier to him, and I realize now that a big difference is that my brother never got in his own way, whereas for me, I think a lot of self-sabotage came from, you know, quote-unquote, knowing I was something that was, and big air quotes here, wrong, not worthy, the throwaway child, um, because my brother was clearly the, you know, correct version of what a boy or a son was supposed to be. So from what I see now, I think that I was trying to keep myself in a world that made sense, And a world that made sense meant that i was unfit to be worthy and oh boy is that not dean to be honest i think i might have always recognized that within dean even back as far as 2005 when i was 20 and the series just begun i mean if you compare sam and dean sam definitely has better boundaries for himself and the way he interacts with his world whereas Dean operates from survival mode and is happy to sacrifice himself or at least parts of himself for others, even if they don't deserve it, and as long as that doesn't interfere with his blood or found family. Um, Dean may not have a chosen one complex, but he definitely has a savior complex, and it makes sense to me that Dean's self uh, sense of unworthiness provides opportunities to justify putting himself in harm's way. And that is where things start getting sticky because we can't talk about Dean's unworthiness without recognizing his savior complex and also his great capacity for love. Um, And I think that someone with savior complex, like our unworthy Dean here, could arguably have an excellent justification for throwing themselves into fires or, in other words, throwing themselves away. I think it's a a lot easier for someone like Dean to show someone, or maybe an angel perhaps, that uh, they are somebody so full of love, someone who even loves the whole world. Uh, And that's not meant to diminish the fact that Dean is full of love, he is. In fact, I think he can find deeper reserves of love than Sam will allow himself to have. But I also think that that at least partly has to do with not having good emotional boundaries. And just one of the many ways we see this working in real time is Dean's consistent negative attitude and view on self-care. And so as a confused kid who grew up secretly queer and remained closeted until his 20s, that is loud. That also feels especially true if a person views themselves that baseline as the throwaway piece. And so thought process that uh your one discussion point sent me on and uh I just wanted to reach out to you guys and leave this voicemail to go deeper into that. So thank you for letting me speak at length on this on your voicemail. You guys rock. Uh love listening to you guys every week. Have a good one.
0: Let me start by saying just first of all a huge thank you to Mike and to everyone else who's reached out to us, who's communicated with us. I just it My heart just melts daily as I see communication. And to go so far as to give us such a personal story and to connect with us in such a huge way. I might start crying while recording. I'm trying not to. But I do want to touch on what you said, and I think it is such a valid point. Weird how I connect to some of it in a weird way, but that's something I had to explore on my own, I guess, apparently. You're right. There is this level of Dean that just seems to feel, like you said, unworthy. When you do paint the picture the way you have of being someone in society who, you feel, who feels as if they are not worthy, it's hard to suddenly have that view change. When you know you're not the atypical and you have to make a niche for yourself, it's hard to accept labels other people give you, even when they are positive ones.
1: The thing with Dean is that so many people can relate to him. And the people who do relate to him in ways that are so profound. He he truly is like a a beloved character. <sighs> Sorry.
0: Our audience. I was worried I would start crying. It looks like Mary beat me to it. I apologize.
1: I think what really got me in your message, Mike, was when you talk about him having, you know, fewer emotional boundaries than Sam and potentially also more emotional reserves. When you have that mix of really deep emotional reserves and very poor emotional and personal boundaries and a sense of unworthiness. And you end up with a character like Dean who is always giving and giving and giving to his loved ones without expecting anything in return because he does not believe that he is worthy of their love. I think that that is something that a lot of people can relate relate to, um, especially, as you mentioned, uh, growing up as a as a queer child, there's another thing that you touched on, which is that Dean is constantly in survival mode, and that is just another layer to add to this character, who not only loves so much, gives so much, but also is constantly thinking that today might be his last day. So especially in the first few seasons, you could easily argue that Dean doesn't care if he lives or dies. We've seen this already a couple of times where he has put himself in harm's way for people who didn't always deserve it. He put himself in harm's way in for people who did deserve it, but who were complete strangers to him. And so I think that that's a really interesting observation to make and to relate it to his own experience and how that brings him to this space, this mental and emotional space is just really, really powerful. And I will also touch on one other thing. Our lived experience is how we relate to one another. So you said you know that your experience is not universal and that's perfectly fine and true. Mm -hmm. But clearly it's also an experience that other people will relate to. And it's also valid evidence in the sense that there are a lot of instances where somebody's lived experience is valuable information. And so, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as, oh, I'm just an anecdote. But no, our experiences are real. Our experiences are the product of the circumstances that we've been put into and therefore they should be studied for what they are. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. It really means a lot. And I hope that your message has also resonated with other people, other people who listen to this podcast. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. And if I can just wrap up this with two more comments, I want to I mean, just a thousand thanks. And I want people to understand that you are all deserving Mm -hmm. of love from the people you choose to surround yourself with and from yourself. Some days might be harder than others. We've all been there and we all have to have someone who can talk us through it. And we have to appreciate those people and find the people who can do that for us. And secondly, to go on a line you just said, Mary, I want to almost turn it a little bit into a positive twist. You know, we may all be anecdotes. But anecdotes are how we convey stories. Stories are how we talk to each other, talking to each other and sharing our stories. And anecdotes are how we grow and how we learn, how others learn from us. And if something you do can become an anecdote, that whether it brings a smile to somebody's face or teaches somebody a lesson, you be proud of that anecdote. You share it wherever you can, and you do what you can do to make your life and other people's lives better. So thank you for taking your own life experience, forming it into a bit of information you could share with us and our listeners. And in whatever way that affects the people listening, I can only say it will help people grow and change and love. Thank you.
1: So for our crossroads deal this week, if you don't mind, Drew, I will again, get us started. If that's okay.
0: Please. You already kind of hinted. You knew where you were going with yours. I'm excited to see where you're leading us.
1: Thank you. So, I wish that Sam had been more upfront about the reason why he didn't want to pursue a relationship with Sarah. And I'm not saying like that he should have said, I am asexual or demisexual. I'm saying that I wish that he had told her that while he was, I don't know, flattered or happy that she was willing to take the risk of you know, taking the relationship further, he was just not in a space where he could handle heartbreak should anything happen to her. Yeah, I wish that he hadn't made it as if he was doing her a favor and that Mm -hmm. he had been more upfront about it being about him and
0: not about her.
1: But now I'm thinking, okay, well, what would I give up? And I think what I would give up is the kiss at the end.
0: (laughs) Yeah, as much as The Kiss, I feel like, did act as a very TV way of being. Like, look, he's growing a little bit. It almost kind of defeats the point. You're right. Interesting. So, for mine, it's a little... So, still on the Sarah subjects. I feel like she's a very great character in this episode. I would have liked to have seen her more involved, less... and more research. Okay. I would have liked to have seen... You know, Dean trying to be like, oh, take her on a date, take her on a date, get romantic. I would have liked to have seen Sam try and do it more his way and saying, hey, while I'm in town, I'm doing some research on some of the paintings and objects from this house or from this sale I'm doing. I know you're a fan of the painting. Would you like to come with me and do some research? Because it's like almost like, like you can make fun of the fact that it's like a high school level, like let's go to the library date. But I feel that is so very Sam. And I feel given we know about Sarah, she would have been like, You want to take me on a date to a public library to go look up old paintings? Having that moment of Sam being like, Oh, yeah, now that you said it out loud, and her being like, Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think it would have helped form more of a bond because even though there is an attraction, it never seems to be anything more than surface level, really. Like, it's really just like, I'm attractive. You're attractive. We're on a date. I'm being cute and funny. You're being kind of shy and not saying much. We're a couple now, apparently. There's there's nothing there. Let her get in... And then even when you have the reveal of the painting, it could even be a little more emotional because she realizes something's up. And then give up. I mean, I would give up the date and the kiss. I'd give up the whole romantic side of it and let it be more of an emotional connection that just has him wondering.
1: Yeah, I agree that the whole date was... Pretty uncomfortable, although I think that that was the goal to show Sam being uncomfortable.
0: Yes. I I think that really was the point of the date. You're right, but I think you could still get those same points across with her being a little more flirtatious, not like over the top, but like you'll make a comment about like, oh, you know, like when I was in high school, this is where, you know, couples would come to make out, you know, secretly and have him be like, I don't know how to respond to those hell. Oh my god. (laughs) It also would have helped with the research side of things, which felt very ham fisted in this episode.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. the
0: three major points of research we get are the provenance, the namesake of the episode, which could have even been better done if it was that was the first date, was them looking over and her calling it a date and having Sam be baffled by it. <laughs> then there's the guy in library who just happens to be a weird fanatic for this murder case and this painting for no reason that is just out of nowhere and super weird. And that could have been someone who actually knew about the painting because they'd sold it. I don't know, like Sarah? And then the final one is, hey, Dean, go into the library.
1: <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, the whole goal of this episode was to show Sam with a girl. Really, that's what it was. And so they've achieved that. They've done that. But I feel like there would have mm-hmm. been ways to be to be more authentic with house I would imagine Sam would like to go about this and not how 2005, 2006 at this point society would have wanted Sam to go about it.
0: Yeah, it feels like the narrative the the narrative of this episode was really built around classic tropes. It feels like I could almost imagine the they wrote this episode with some of the ways we like it a little better. And the CW being like, no, 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 it needs to be a classic date. They have to be dressed up. She has to have makeup on. And she wouldn't put makeup on in a library. That's not a place you take a girl on a date. It needs to be a TV date. Mm. Blech, CW. Yeah, I mean,
1: everything. especially considering that, like, Sam is, what, 23 in that episode? Yeah. Like, what 23-year-old? take Anyway, yes. It's just, I agree, Drew. I think that this could have definitely been handled better.
0: Mm-hmm. I want dorky library dates.
1: I want dorky library dates too.
0: You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigouroux, and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to give a huge thanks to Mike for his voicemail. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording yourself at carryingwayward at gmail.com, And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok using at Carrying Wayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Until next week.
1: Carry on our wayward friends.